What is the difference between appreciation and appropriation? Between admiration and fetishization? Should Asians as a minority group just be grateful to be fetishized? And while we're not blaming K-pop, is the continued international success of K-pop indirectly fueling Asian fetishization? We'll be discussing all that and more on today's episode of Borderline Inappropriate with Merle and Aria and Joelle Park. Hello. Thanks well, for having me. Well, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. We're excited for you to be here for what should be a very, uh, well, I think a very enlightening episode. Hopefully there isn't too much backlash. And if so, you'll you'll get some of it with us. Oh my God. What <laughs> is a group <laughs> proposition? It's a group trauma. effort. It's a group yeah. effort. Yeah, I think today's conversation is a really important one to have. And so, you know, all jokes aside, I'm glad that you're here to share um, not just your knowledge and experiences, but also Joelle, if you don't know, is a very talented creator, a YouTuber herself as well. So make sure to check out her channel. It'll be linked down below. You are holding BuzzFeed up on your shoulders. <laughs> yes. I think many people, many people would resent to hear you say that. I've been, no, there, I've, I've, I've been there under one year. <laughs> well, that's, that goes to show. You've done a lot in a year. Yeah, so please do check out Joelle if you haven't already. Um, but obviously Joelle is a well fellow Asian like myself. But also you're also very well versed in the K-pop space, both as a fan and in your content. I mean, you do... Uh, a lot of content around K-pop, I guess, diets and, and work. I saw the workout one recently too. She <laughs> Working out. Working yeah, out. we try. Um, either way, we're excited to have you here for this uh, conversation. If you're new here on this podcast, we like to talk about, well, you know, taboo, taboo topics. topics, you know, the have conversations that hopefully, you know, add to the overall discourse around these little topics and sometimes they can get a little you know a little borderline inappropriate i guess uh but they're important to have thank you joel someone appreciates it i do want to start this by saying that this today's topic is a very uh, nuanced one we are talking about fetishization today specifically of asians asian americans uh yeah <laughs> yeah very fun episode but yeah it is a nuanced one and so i mean i don't know we should throw any disclaimers out uh, first do you want to go first joel list them all i think it's pretty obvious that we are Speaking from personal experience, at least I am speaking from personal experience, I do not have a degree in Asian or Asian American studies, but like Arya said, I'm a content creator. I make a lot of content in the K-pop space, and I'm also Chinese-Korean American. So know that this is coming just from one person's experience, and I hope that it can be something that, you know, opens new conversations, maybe topics that you can talk about with your friends, but uh, I wish you're an expert but I'm not, but I'm excited to learn from Merle and Aria about their experiences as well. And yes. read all your comments. Ooh, <laughs> so fun. I'm excited to hear about Merle's experiences as an Asian American as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally just going to say. Her experience in an interracial relationship and also like perspective on like fetishization in general That's of true. different cultures. Because I feel like, you know, Asians are hot right now, which is why I think it makes sense to talk about mm. it because it's been a really distinct change culturally recently. Mm -hmm. But fetishization has been going on as long as humanity has been around, I'm sure. So Yeah, absolutely. That's all very well said. I mean, I have no other disclaimers really. I think Joel covered it really well there. You know, the only other thing I would add is that when we do talk about the topic of K-pop, I have been burned in the past by a, a select group of K-pop fans. So I want to make it very clear that, you know, in no way are we attacking K-pop, K-pop groups, idols, the fandom at large. When we talk about fetishization as it pertains to K-pop, we're talking about a you know, select group of people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that may veer more towards the icky side of fetishization as opposed to, you know, admiration and appreciation for these performers, which is, of course, great. Love, support your 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 favorite K-pop stars, your favorite groups. You know, let's just not fetishize people. Yeah. And <laughs> you know? as a K-pop stan, I hope that we can all acknowledge that we should be open to hearing other people's perspectives and be able to be critical of an industry that has both good and bad 
just like Hollywood, just like every other industry. So be nice yes. <laughs> on the internet, especially. And I'm just here to represent the whites, <laughs> and, the whites. Uh, <laughs> and our role in this whole thing. Because to be fair, I do think there is something to be said for, I mean, at least Western, Western pop culture is heavily, heavily dictated by a bunch of white people. So, you know, I can speak very easily into like my upbringing and lack of diversity growing up and how that may or may not have led to my own preconceived notions or and or people, friends I know's preconceived notions. So as we tend to do uh, on these episodes, we like to talk about why we start with why the topic is taboo to discuss. And so I guess for you, Joel, why would you think that just talking about the fetishization of Asian of Asians, I guess. Why would you say it's a taboo topic for us to even be broaching? I think it can be really hard to broach the subject of Asian fetishization because on the internet, so much of it is honestly lumped into like six second TikToks and like really brief generalizations about groups of people and about how people's behavior in one area of life like may indicate a lot more about who they are as a person and their values. It's really easy to make a lot of criticism about people who are, for example, K-pop fans that are not of you know, an Asian ethnicity and being like, that's fetishization or like the way that you're talking about this group of people is is inappropriate without providing a healthy means of doing so, I guess. So I feel like there just comes a lot of criticism, a lot of like arrogance and ignorance and not a lot of grace, I suppose, for people to learn why, oh, maybe the way that I'm talking about this group of people is incorrect. What is the right way for me to do that? How do I actually appreciate this sort of thing, and also be true and honest to my feelings. As is with the internet, there just isn't room for a lot of nuance, and people are so afraid of being characterized as like a Korea boo or as having an Asian fetish um, that rather than like really thinking critically about their own behavior and how they perceive the world, they're just hiding. And to me, that's not really like a solution of learning how to like overcome these differences and like gain an appreciation for different cultures. It just like leads to concealed uh, fetishization or concealed um, generalization about groups of people. What's a Koreaboo? Oh, so a Koreaboo is kind of a slang term for someone who has an obsession with Korean culture. It generally has a negative connotation of someone who, at least from my understanding, has much more of like a consumerist mentality of the Mm. culture. Like this is here as something for me to enjoy, capitalize off of, like have, you know. It's trendy. Like sexualized. Yeah. And to some degree, occasionally, oftentimes, it doesn't necessarily indicate like a deep knowledge or appreciation of the culture, the history, the nuance, and like the good and bad, I would say. Is it like a weeb? Yeah, I think it is yeah, like I same think, word stem. I don't, know. I don't know the the etymology, I guess, but I believe uh, that it is, does stem from the term weebu, which is I, it, I and I might be mistaken. This is that specifically for Japanese culture or just Asian culture in general? Weebu is true, that, like that because that's the older term, I guess. I've only heard it in the context of Japanese culture. That might be that might be exactly but, just that. You know, it could be for you know. <laughs> A lot of other people just lumped all Asian cultures together yeah. anyway. So like, I don't know. Some people might not know the difference. I'm always amazed at how you're you're all able to articulate your thoughts so well because I just tend to ramble. So that was very well said. Maybe I'm just really traumatized from my experience, but well, my experience with the with being attacked by those oh. K-pop fans, not because I was like particularly fetishized, but in the sense that I once again, going back to the disclaimer I was making, I think it's also taboo to talk about this because when I've broached this topic in the past, I'm going to speak specifically to a, an instance on my Discord server. This happened a while ago. This was a, a wild drama, but basically there was a conversation going on about fetishization, actually, specifically about fetishization of Asian men 
and sometimes how it may pertain to K-pop. And the thing is, like, they meant well. They were on the server probably because of my relationship with Merle. So they were in also Asian male, white female relationships. So they were the white women in those relationships dating Asian men. And so this one person, basically, when we were talking about how, you know, you know, there is fetish. We were just talking about the existence of fetishization of Asians. And she was triggered. General. I think she meant well, but the way she was arguing, she basically said, so we can put white male celebrities on a pedestal, but not Korean celebrities, which is against the point because we're not saying that we shouldn't admire or find Asians attractive. That's the point I'm trying to make here is that what's taboo is that I think some people may take this as us saying, oh, it's wrong to find any Asian, you know. Wrong take. Uh, yeah, that is not attractive. <laughs> like it's not, if you find an Asian attractive, that, that doesn't mean you're fetishizing them. I guess the taboo nature of this that sort of worries me is that I don't want people to think that we're saying that Asian men shouldn't be admired or Asians in general shouldn't be found attractive or be celebrated. There's a power dynamic at play as well. When it's a white person who's being fetishized, like this argument that like, oh, you can't be, you can be attracted to white men and drool over white men, but you can't like drool over like an Asian man. It's like, there's just something a little different when it's a white woman and an Asian man or woman or person, because there is historically a power difference. The dynamic, the power dynamic is different. So here's a person with a lot more power and privilege. Sometimes it feels like the fetishization or appreciation even maybe comes a little short because ultimately there's still a power dynamic problem. It's kind of like, okay, are you also advocating for this group of people? You appreciate the culture so much. You also, you know, it brings a lot to your life. Are you also walking the walk? Maybe like, is that another reason? Like, is it that, do you think there's like a power dynamic? Cause I, it is an interesting argument. I think there's something to be said for like her being like, oh yeah, but I just really appreciate the culture. That's great to appreciate the culture. Do you also advocate for the culture? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, do you think that's why it feels a little different or that's yeah. why it feels a little icky? Yeah, I feel like that's a big part of it. And I, this came up so much during, I mean, during the height of COVID and like stop Asian hate and all that. And Asians are receiving so much criticism. Like even in my hometown in San Francisco, like Asian people were getting like punched on the bus. Like that was a trend to like punch an Asian on the bus, which is mm -mm. crazy and terrifying. And it was during a lot of those moments that people were like, okay, all the K-pop stands. Like, where are you? Like, you love to post about this and to enjoy the music and enjoy the food and the culture or whatever. But when, like, push comes to shove and there are groups that need help, the less attractive, like the elderly, the disenfranchised people of the same community need help. Like, where are you? Are you willing to be out, like, stand up for people who really need it? Or are you only involved in this for your own benefit, for your own, you know, pleasure and enjoyment? The other thing I think that is potentially taboo is there's this notion that some people may have that, why are you complaining? You know, like, okay, you should be happy that, you know, you're you're getting attention, I guess, you know, because historically speaking, and we talked about this in, another, in an earlier episode, historically speaking, black women and Asian men were the least likely to find matches on dating apps. And so, you know, some people might be like, well, What's the problem? People are finding you attractive. You know, what's so what's so wrong about that? Which is uh, a take that a lot of people have. So like, why are you complaining about being fetishized? Like, I would be so happy to have the attention. I was like, that's a crazy is, sentence. I'd be so happy to be fetishized. I mean, I shared this thing with you on the document that I sent to, to Joelle what, at, in the research. And there was just this one Reddit thing that was kind of like, uh, it was a Reddit post from just, just a random guy uh, on a thread. And it, the, the quote goes, anyone who cares about fetishization are freaking losers. Have you, ever, have you ever seen fucking good looking white men care about that shit? No. Which there's a lot to unpack there. Because obviously, you know, white men, the height of power, I don't think they, they, don't, they don't even have to worry about that. So that's not something they, of course, they're not going to say anything. But that does tie into my point that, you know, there are people that will think like, why are you complaining? Like, why are you like, you're this guy, you're a freaking loser. 
if you're complaining about being fetishized. So I think that's where it gets a little taboo too, because some people might be like, why are you complaining? Mm. <laughs> you know? The fetishization, whatever, of white men, I've never heard of that. I'm sure it exists, but I do feel like in the word fetish fetishization, I think there is a degree of dehumanization. So you can't, you can fetishize white men, but they still hold all the power. You can fetishize white women, and I'm sure some people do, still hold more power than the majority of people. I'm not saying it's right. When it comes to a minority, whether it's a woman or a person of color or a woman of color, whatever it might be, the fetishization, I think it all circles back to like, okay, you're appreciating how they look. There's something you find attractive about this, and it does generally have a sexual nature to it. So are you just using it for your own sexual or consumer gratification and then leaving it there to to deal with the struggles that are inherently in society? Is it just something for you to play with when you feel like it and then leave it alone? I think that's why it's taboo. I think that's why it's kind of gross. It's like if there's so much appreciation, why aren't there more why isn't there more equality? And I think white people once again hold more responsibility here because they hold more power. So if you're going to appreciate a culture, uplift the culture. And don't like you just said really well, not just the attractive parts, you know, uplift every corner of it, learn more about it and spread that knowledge to your family that might not be as op open-minded, I guess, or as aware. What are the differences, I guess, between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation? Joelle, take the floor. <laughs> yes. I'm I passing. did a whole uh, history project on this in <gasps> high school there we go. in my globalization class. Dr. Hong, if you're out there, love you. Um, but it was really interesting. Obviously, we were just like 18-year-olds. We were trying to figure this out because a lot of it, um, a lot of what we were observing was uh, appropriation in fashion and um, particularly with especially like Native American designs and like Asian designs, textiles and that sort of thing. I guess the, the biggest takeaway we found was kind of exactly what we we're talking about, how like when there's a consumerist culture of people profiting off another group of people that's been oppressed, that's been disenfranchised, and those people that are profiting are also not the ones to be there to defend them and like champion them in, in other areas. It's just another form of oppression um, to you know, exercise this dominance and being able to take exclusively without giving anything. And we're kind of talking like much more, like we're lar larger terms, like in, in the commercial world and um, fashion industry and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, on a personal level, um, a lot of it can come from someone's own, you know, experience with the culture, like genuinely learning and like educating themselves about the culture, about the history, you know, having, being able to make space for the nuance in a culture as well. You know, a lot of that will just manifest, I think, in our personal relationships, in like, you know, what we spend our time on. So I think people are always really afraid of being like, oh, am I appropriating? Am I appropriating? And I think like it's a much more productive question to ask, like, if I love and appreciate this culture so much, how can I also like give something back in return? That's like the way that it makes sense in my brain to be able to be like, it, it is a give and take. It's a relationship rather than like, you know, a source of pleasure for myself exclusively, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. This reminds me, when I was, I want to say 24 or something like that, my ex and I went to visit his sister who worked for a nonprofit, like helping to help people in Uganda start small businesses. We went to visit her and spent time there like three weeks in Uganda. My ex actually like helped to start a nonprofit to bring sports to like one of the local villages that we were in. So like there, were th there was positive change that was happening, but it still immediately felt like 
you know, I'm a white person like visiting this place. And one of the things I noticed was like how beautiful the textiles are, how beautiful the fabric is. And the sister of my ex was like, well, that there's a tailor that I go to. So we had clothes made that were perfectly fitted with like some of the textiles. When I actually got them commissioned to be made, I thought it was a celebration of how beautiful these things were. But then as I got older and I kind of like thought about it, we gave business to somebody who lives there. This is what they do for a living. But to be a white person wearing wearing the Ugandan fabric, I don't know. I just felt like a fucking loser, honestly. So I was like, I'm not, I mean, well, no, because I was like, maybe this is just not actually that cool of me to do. I don't know. I don't know. I know it's stuff like that, that I totally feel like, because I think that a lot of people have like similar experiences, but also makes me kind of sad because I I do think like in an ideal world, there would be a time where people can appreciate and celebrate like the clothing and like elements of other people's cultures without like the layered, honestly, like a lot of fear of public perception um, and like the need to be, to defend your your ability to wear it and be like, no, I swear, like I like I wanted to give business to this company or whatever. You know, we just live in a very imperfect, broken world, so that's not the case right now. But I, I think that hopefully in the future, as we're kind of seeing more, um, you know, the and we see more cultures being celebrated. I hope that that will one day be the case where we can like have freedom to like really genuinely express our love of all their cultures but obviously that also will take work it takes like going and learning and standing up for these different groups of people you know while we celebrate them too so i know well so i didn't know i mean it took a lot honestly it took a lot of like reflection and growth i was like why does this feel wrong to wear this and then i wore it to a fucking wedding but then after the wedding i was like i don't think i'll ever wear this again it felt weird i think it's a it's a good examination and i think it's like a productive use of self-reflection so much i feel like so much uh self-consciousness just leads to like a rabbit hole of like self-degradation and like uselessness but that's actually like a productive thing to think about it's like oh like yeah. let me really think about what i'm contributing to the world what does it mean for me to wear this and right. like i know what does it mean for me to wear this that's ultimately <laughs> what it's because it's like it's not even in this moment of time i feel like now we're spending too much time on this but <laughs> no, i don't know at the time it was like a nice memory and then it became weird it maybe it just became uncomfortable and i was like okay if it doesn't feel right then just don't do it with asian culture asian textiles do you think if someone were to do something similar and then come back to the u.s should they not wear those clothes? Like a kimono. I would never fucking wear a kimono because like that just mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. Absolutely. So do you think, I guess, what do you both think about what I've just said? Do you judge me? Do you think I'm a bad person? I don't think you're a bad person because you're all, you're acknowledging it now, the ickiness of it. Even as an Asian, I wouldn't probably be wearing a kimono. If I spent a really long time in a country, I had a lot of strong relationships there. I learned a lot about the history, the culture and everything. And I had bought like a piece of clothing there to commemorate that experience. And it you know stays consistent with me throughout my life that I am always like, you know, staying up to date on what's going on. I am like trying to advocate for that group of people. I think I would feel like a little more comfortable mm-hmm. wearing it where it's like, it's part of like, it's part of who I am too, mm. um, to like appreciate and to really like be there for that cultural group. And when I think about it in reverse the way you said, if someone went to Korea, bought like a handbook or whatever and was wearing it, the nature in which they're wearing it would make such a big difference to me because they just are like huge fans of Korean culture. They really enjoy and appreciate, they understand the history and whatever. And like some of them are really beautiful and really cute. I'd be like, okay, like I feel like this is something that's not just like an aesthetic for you to try on because it's trendy right now. Like you're, you're ride or die for Korean culture. And like, that's interesting for you. Like maybe you're a historian, maybe you like studied Korean history, like love that. The problem is that for a lot of people, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so pretty. And it's like, it makes me feel like Blackpink. So I'm going <laughs> to wear it right now. And um, maybe I'm going to, 
get it tailored so that it's really short and sexy and I can be like a sexy Korean girl or like for um for kimonos like a lot of freaky geisha kimono Halloween costumes or whatever like that's like a thing that people do in the U.S. unfortunately and that just happens all the time where I'm like oh gosh like there's definitely brands that have made um, like hypersexualized versions of like the like Chinese like chung sam like the I don't even know if I'm saying that right I'm a bad Chinese girl but like <laughs> I like of the style and neckline of like yeah. traditional Chinese gowns but really tight really short and it's you know I don't want to call it the brand <laughs> but it always made me feel super weird because it leads into another topic of today of like the fetish- fetishization of Asian girls in particular and how like Asian aesthetics are tied to like sexuality in a weird way. That makes me not happy at all. Like anytime I see one of those, I roll my eyes so hard. And and celebrities, a lot of music artists do that often. Like in in the past like few years, I've seen stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, you didn't have a PR person maybe say, <laughs> don't do that. Well, let's uh, let's make you uh, unhappier and dive into that topic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect little segue into let's talk about, yeah, the history, I guess, or both high level and also personal experience as far as just fetishization of Asian men, Asian women. You want to start? I'm just passing the buck to Joel all the time because she's just answering things so well. I'm honored and scared. (laughs) But for anyone who's watching or listening that is not super familiar with the tropes of Asian women in media, historically, there's been two kind of primary tropes. The one of like the dragon lady, the woman who wields her sexual power and seduction to manipulate men, manipulate people of other cultures, normally white people, um, to gain power. And she's kind of like the snake lady. On the other hand, there's the idea of the Asian woman as like the docile and um, subservient, quiet Asian girl. I forget, there was a term for it. I think it might be like the lotus flower trope or something. Um, And so Asian women would often be like categorized into both these things and often with like a very sexual undertone. The innocent trope, a lot of it would then end up as like schoolgirl fetishization or like the innocent girl to be ravaged by some man with a lot more experience, which is like so creepy and gross. Um, But those two things have kind of existed for a long time. We've seen that broken down a lot more recently, I would say, with like nuance and like varied experiences. But growing up, that was probably the most pervasive conversation about Asian women in in media and pop culture. But uh, how about for, are we going to go into men or are we going to just keep it on girls for now? We can dive into both, I guess. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, Asian men, I mean, in media, the the representation has been, you know, I would say for the most part, wholly negative up until (laughs) somewhat recently. I, I mean, I mean, even when you talk about people like Bruce Lee, who have been viewed in a revered light, like there, that that just lent it, itself to eventual stereotypes too of like you know Asian men, you know they know kung fu or karate and stuff like that. But then uh, conversely, there has been like long duck dong in you know <laughs> and, and these like very yeah portraying Asian men as in their own way also being very weak submissive uh, men you know nerdy you know all the stereotypes that we're aware of and very limited representation in media in Western media specifically when it comes to Asian uh, characters, Asian male characters, uh, has always, yeah, for the most part, I think has been a fairly, uh, has been, has been in, in a pretty negative light, I would say. Yeah, very up until somewhat recently. And it's still, obviously, there's, uh, while things have maybe gotten a bit better, there's still a lot more room for improvement on that front. I mean, I think that's probably also what has lent itself to 
Like that lack of representation, or I guess the type of representation for Asian men in media has been what had lent itself to those statistics about, you know, Asian men and black women being the, you know, least likely to find matches online or having the least luck dating uh, in the West, I guess. So yeah, not a great time. Not a great time. (laughs) Do you feel like you experienced, you know, that level of fetishization or like that affected your social life or relationships with people growing up? Well, I grew up in Asia, right? So that's, so that was very different for me. So, I mean, I can't speak to the experience of growing up and yeah, within the Western world as a teenager, I would say after moving to the U.S. though, you know, uh, in my periods where I had been on dating apps, I I mean, it's not like I was had really, I wasn't comparing with friends how many matches they got. So I can't really say if I was feeling I was getting less or more, but I could definitely see to a degree that maybe I could have been getting less matches for sure than, uh, let's say, a white friend, you know. Uh, so that was one thing where I could have, I could definitely see that being a possibility. But I will say that I definitely have felt the experience of being fetishized. And I mean, even prior to, I guess, being a bit of a somewhat online uh, persona of, or online figure, um, I think in my first relationship, this one, this is the one that sticks out to me. Uh, and I think it's a pretty, I would say, a fairly textbook example of fetishization. And I don't think even she knew she was doing it at the time. But I remember we were dating. We were it was we were each other's first boyfriend girlfriend, uh, first relationship. And I remember a year or so into the relationship, she said something along the lines of like, you know, if we were ever to break up, you know, I think I, I only want to date Asian men. I think she meant it in a very <laughs> like a compliment. As a compliment. <laughs> she was like, you know, yeah, you know, it's just something about Asian men. I think she was talking about I don't know values and something. I was like, oh. and I, 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 me being, you know, when I was twenty twenty, I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> you know, that's what I saw. I was like, oh, that's a very sweet thing. You know that I've left such a mark on her. I've left such a positive impression of the Asian <laughs> population. All Asians are as, as all Asian men. <laughs> yeah, I remember that her saying that. That's sort of like that stuck with me in the back of my head. And then what I do remember is that in the years following our breakup though I remember all her subsequent boyfriends Asian men it was one after the other I think it was like three or four in a row and I don't know what her relationship status is right now I'd wager that if she were in a relationship right now I'm willing to wager that she's with an Asian man she didn't lie she She didn't lie she's true to her word she she may be a fetishist but she's not a liar liar. (laughs) but yeah so I guess that was probably the the most clear example of me feeling fetishized and in the moment I didn't even feel fetishized again in the moment I felt like oh that's a nice thing you know uh, to hear but yeah I would say that's probably one way that I felt and Honestly, to a degree, when I, if we're talking about like after, you know, being in BuzzFeed videos and having, you know, a, you know, a small following, I think I could say I see it to an extent, maybe, but not, I wouldn't say so much. So I've been, or maybe at least the people in my community, I haven't really felt fetishized to a degree. I have had instances on like my Discord server where we've had people that are maybe following me because of my relationship with Merle. And so like you have, uh, you know, people that are in Asian male, white female relationships that are on the server in the community. And so, and I love that they're there, but then there are, of course, as with most communities and groups, uh, you know, there's always a couple of, you know, outliers that sort of say wild shit. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying this is for all the people in my community or just people in Asian male, white, female relationships, but I'm speaking of just these select people, the white woman in those relationships, some of the comments they make feel very white saviory. It's like, it feel like they're doing, like, they feel like they have to defend you know, they're the, the Asia, you know, which, you know, I, I, of course, you know, it's great to have a partner that supports you and your culture, but there's a degree of it which feels a little off, you know, and, you know, there was an instance on my server where we were talking about the fetishization of 
Asians and these select white women who are either in relationships with Asian men or just big, I guess, proponents of Asian culture. Uh, I, they may have been, I, no, I think they were K-pop fans. They were basically taking it as people saying, oh, then we shouldn't uplift Asians because if we do, they took it as people trying to drag Asians. They took it as, well, actually, uh, this will probably be a lot more helpful. There is uh, There was a Reddit thread that was posted about it by one of these people. About so, your server. About my server. And this was their perspective, which is entirely like, it's not, this is not what happened at all. The title of the Reddit thread is Bad Experience at Discord. My husband is an Asian man and we are very active in the Stop AAPI Hate Movement. I just wanted to share a very disturbing experience that I had on Discord. So I was a fan of this YouTuber slash BuzzFeed personality, Arya Intavong. He is Lao American. I decided to join his Discord group a month ago thinking he and Mer will understand the struggle of Asian male white female couples, but I was very wrong. I realized Arya's Discord is full of racists. Oh. <laughs> there were other AMWF couples there posting pictures and they got branded as Koreaboo. Absolutely not true. There's a lot of AMWF couples there and people are really surprised when they say AMWF selfies and they wonder, and it's again not true, why are there so many white women here that like Asian men? Like, hello, Arya and Merle are AMWF. They will attract AMWF followers. So basically, right at this point, they're basically painting it as, they're saying as essentially that the server is full of people that don't support Asian male white female relationships, which you would feel if they're on this server, they would be in support of me and my relationship. They talk about how people are branding Asian male white female relationships as, oh, these white women are fetishizing Asian men. They're putting them on a pedestal. And then white people who post K-pop or K-drama content also got heavily bullied uh, heavily bullied and criticized. The majority of his mods are white people, not true. And they bully Asians and white people who defend Asians. This is where it gets wild. It's already wild. <laughs> what is going on? Um, <laughs> yeah, and she says, I never really realized so many people can really hate our coupling, the AMWF dynamic. One person exposed them saying, I think AMWF couples and K-pop stands here get attached, get attacked because of white hegemony. It's because the white man always has to have higher value than an Asian man. So basically, they're saying that they think that these people on the server are trying to put white men on a pedestal above Asian men. And she was met with bullying comments. And these were not bullying comments. These were people trying to understand what the hell they were talking about. She wasn't banned. Arya did not ban her. But all the people there really hate her. And I don't know why Arya befriends them. Maybe he is scared of losing followers. And this is where it gets even wilder. So this white woman then says... Arya also lets them devalue him and push him around. It is like he is being held hostage. It's strange because aren't they his fans? Arya and Merle also do not make videos of them together anymore. I guess the racist comments got to their heads. Oh heads. my god, God forbid we want a life. <laughs> it is sad Arya and Merle doesn't have an AMWF community. Maybe they feel like they are all alone. They're like, they should really monetize that yeah. more. <laughs> they, I haven't revealed to that Discord yet that I have an Asian husband for fear of being attacked. It's, it's in your whoa. profile picture, we know. <laughs> But it's, it's just wild because it's like one of the moderators they're dealing with is a, a Latina. She's also a huge K-pop fan. And so like the, their whole arguments about basically not supporting K-pop or just not supporting Asians, just it was completely wild. And then there's this whole idea, kind of in a patronizing way that, oh, Arya's letting him, he shouldn't be letting them treat him this way. You know, he's feeling devalued. You know, they're bullying him. It's like, it's like they feel like, I don't know. It's just wild. Like the the, the leaps in logic there were crazy. But so yeah, crazy. that was just a wild one. And it just kept, it kept going back and forth for a while. And it seemed like it was just a giant miscommunication. Because again, honestly, as wild as that is, I don't think her heart's in a bad place. You know, in a way, she was trying to say that, you know, Arya needs support from her community. No. <laughs> she's like, blink twice. She yeah. needs to save you. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So that was just weird. It was just felt weird, you know, like her talking about me feeling 
uh, being held hostage in my own server and stuff like that. And again, it just felt weird coming from a white person. I think there's going to be comments where people are going to be like, in the beginning, you said uh, you, if you're going to be someone who loves like a certain culture, you should be uplifting and advocating for them. But then when you mentioned the person in the Discord, like they were thinking they were like advocating and doing the right things for the culture. Like I know we're going to see that comment. So do you want to like explain why the, wh the white savior element of it, how that kind of makes it mm -hmm. less cool. Again, everything's just so full of nuance here, right? And so even in that specific like subtopic is a nuance uh, in the sense that, yes, you should be standing up for the cultures that I guess you're, that, yeah, you should be standing up for these cultures. But at the same time, also know your place a little bit in the sense that like stand alongside you know, but not, or even necessarily, only way sometimes stand behind, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like someone like, let's say if, if you're the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, like if you're a white person leading the charge, it's kind of like, it's, it's a little, it's like, it's nice. <laughs> you're in support of the cause, but you know, like a white person shouldn't be at the head of the march. You know what I'm trying to say? It's the same sort of thing. It's like, you know, you can support, you know, stop AAPI hate, but you shouldn't also be then like telling an Asian man, oh, you shouldn't let them treat you like this, you know, like, let me fight for you, you know, you're you're being held hostage in this situation. It's like, okay, like, we appreciate the support, but also, like, there's a balance to this thing, you know? I feel like the biggest red flag for me that came up from, from my understanding of the situation, what's going on, uh, since I have not seen the actual conversation, was just that this kind of all started because this this particular woman was really uncomfortable with the criticism of fetishization in I guess, Asian male, white female relationships. Whereas I feel like as like an ally or whatever language you want to use for someone who really genuinely supports their partner and um, can advocate for another culture is that you have to be able to acknowledge the historical and systemic issues at hand and like your how you fit within this larger societal framework. And if you're so uncomfortable with criticism of that, that you have to shut it down, that you have to be like, anyone who criticizes this is racist. Like you you are not comfortable just sitting there and being like, yeah, I acknowledge that this is that this can be an unhealthy dynamic, that in the past, like these things can be really icky and impersonal and, you know, unhealthy in a lot of ways. That freaks me out the most, I think, that I'm like, oh, like you should be able to just know and and acknowledge and look for ways to move past rather than being completely dismissive of people saying that there are issues in some of these dynamics. That's really well said. I think that's something that came up in the conversation on the server was that you can still support this thing, but also acknowledge that there are flaws and historical, yeah, this is, there, there are issues with it. You know, it's like you can be a fan of someone, just someone in general, but also acknowledge, you know, there are, you can be a fan, you can be a part of a fandom, for example, but also acknowledge that there are there are issues with it. Or I don't know. I you said it very well. There's nothing for us for me to really add there. I feel like I could have done a better job explaining that whole situation. And so we do have receipts. If you want to join the Discord server, ping a moderator, and they go th the, the 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 chat. The thread is still there. Ping a moderator, and they'll direct you to the thread, and you can see the full conversation. So you know that I'm not painting this. You know, uh, in a wild light. Because uh, again, I, I I also like I get that in her mind and in the minds of these these select people, they were in the, their mind defending their partners, defending Asian men, Asian culture. So I don't think they were malicious in it, but anyways. I think probably the person should have been more open and receptive to the feedback they were getting instead of getting defensive, mm -hmm. which it can be really easy to get defensive because you're like, I was trying to do a nice thing. You know, any mistake you might make or anything you do that you think is for a good reason, 
Listen to the people who are more directly impacted by your actions instead of trying to defend yourself. I think for me personally, growing up, I felt really lucky to be raised in an area full of a lot of Asian people. I grew up in San Francisco, and that was very intentional on my parents' part to raise me, surrounded by a lot of different Asian people. I will say, though, I definitely feel like I, I fell way more into like the super innocent, um, like good girl, Asian girl trope that, you know, for better or worse— can cause harmful things. I think anytime someone is stereotyped and it wasn't even like I necessarily felt like sexualized. I was like in middle school to high school. So uh, I was still pretty early on. Um, that it, it can just be harmful where I felt like I was not like this strong, powerful person. I was like kind of quiet. I Christian girl played piano. Like I just really wanted to be good. And I think I felt very much like degraded or like demeaned by comments that my classmates would make about that because I happened to be Asian into like doing those things um and definitely like got some interesting comments about that just the fact that I was good at math or whatever an interesting part of my experience as an Asian American girl um knowing that Asian women are highly fetishized is that because I'm Christian I'm also celibate <laughs> which whole other podcast episode yeah, for sure. sure yeah please come um, back for that yeah <laughs> I noticed that affect a lot of my relationships as well, where I think people didn't know that about me and they thought that maybe I would be <laughs> a good time for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And it was like a shock to people to find out that I was not particularly sexual. And um, that caused a lot of interesting dynamics in my very few uh, romantic encounters with boys. Uh, I think one of the most hurtful instances, though, was there was a boy I was dating in high school uh, and... I didn't want to have sex with him and he started out being totally fine with that. But a few weeks later was just like, I'm like actually not cool with that. I'm a hormonal teenage boy. Like, why are we even dating if you're not going to have sex with me? And then like a week later, I find out from someone else that he like had sex or hooked up with another Asian girl at a party. And I was just like, huh, this is so interesting. Mm. He was not Asian. Um, and then I saw later throughout, you know, very limited interaction online after we graduated that he was dating primarily Asian girls, you know, not just Korean or Chinese or whatever, but like Asian girls exclusively for a while. And that, that just was, it was an interesting observation. I'm not like resentful. I don't want to like immediately label him as like someone who fetishized Asian girls, but it, it was interesting to be like, oh, like, was I simply there to like try to meet a need of his or a desire of his. And when I could no longer do that, then it was like, why is Joel here? I don't actually care about Joel. I, I just want this experience almost. Not participating in hookup culture also saved me from a lot of that in college because I had a lot of friends and family members that received a lot of weird comments from non-Asian men um, who were Asian girls like, being called a sexy oriental oh or my like, God. <laughs> oh no, literally, <laughs> or just like getting comments about like having a tight pussy or like whatever. And I was like, man, that is, that is craziness. Like that is so crazy that you could be aye, aye. in a very vulnerable position as an Asian woman, hear something like that and be like, well, what the hell do I do? So yeah, it gets, it gets wild out there in, in college for Asian girls. And that's again, not to say that like every non-Asian guy that's getting with a Asian girl is feeling that way, but it was weird just how common it was in the discourse. Um, and yeah, I, I'm grateful to have not necessarily been on the receiving end of that necessarily a ton because of just removing myself from that experience. But I also know that a lot of my removal from from 
being perceived sexually comes from my fear of being hypersexualized, where I'm like, I know this is something that easily happens to girls who look like me. So I'm going to put a lot of distance between, you know, that trope and myself, um, which is also realistically not that healthy. I shouldn't feel the need where I have to make myself like less sexual or like desexualize myself out of my safety. But that is something that I think about where I'm like, oh, I, I really hope that the men around here are not perceiving me in that way because I will not feel safe and do not feel safe. Just an added layer to the joys of being a woman. Oh, it's yes. Just like oh, yes. Another, even another level mm-hmm. and it degree of objectification yeah, yeah. and stereotypes. Yeah, it's crazy. One other criticism I see often of Asian girls is Asian girls that say, I would never date an Asian dude or like I would never date X ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of criticism that people receive kind of on the other end that, yes, you know, we want to fight Asian fetishization, but also Asian girls take it upon themselves on the internet to be like, you don't know the first thing about Korean men. They're all misogynistic. They're all horrible, blah, 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 which is again, just, you know, sweeping generalizations, um, but still like founded obviously in cultural experience, maybe like personal trauma and that sort of thing. I used to be one of those girls that was like, I'm not going to date an Asian guy or I'm not going to date a Korean guy. Now you've been in a long-term relationship with your- Now in a seven-year relationship with a beautiful man. Sean, my boyfriend, who is fully Korean. So I very much understand that. And I think that there is a lot of rightful criticism in saying that you will or will not date someone of a specific culture, hard stop. There's just so much variety and individuality in, you know, in in cultures, in people. And it, it's, it feels so silly to make a generalization like that. Um, but I, I was guilty. And I will say that I'm really, really grateful for my boyfriend and like my experience in dating people across a variety of ethnic backgrounds, somewhat limited since my boyfriend and I have been together since I was like 19. But I learned so much about my own like internalized racism through Mm -hmm. dating Sean and realizing all of the assumptions I made about Asian men that were like fueled by trauma and like personal family experiences that were really hurtful that were not, you know, didn't delegitimize them, but definitely taught me that the way to move forward is not like out of that trauma. Like there is a way to heal from this and there is a way to like move forward, having a healthy relationship with someone who loves me and who I love and happens to also be Korean. So we can share that cultural experience, which is really beautiful and like really fruitful in a lot of ways that I would not have gotten had I not dated a Korean boy, man. (laughs) So um, I think that's another interesting discourse I see on the internet a lot and I think there's a lot of like founding to both of those experiences but I think it's just important to acknowledge like oh is this coming from a healthy place of me you know making a a good informed decision or is this coming because I've been hurt a lot and I'm trying to prevent myself from experiencing more pain I think when I was uh and I was actually guilty of that too I think partially well the internalized racism for sure I, I was very guilty but I think because I grew up in Asia I felt a degree of I wouldn't say resentment, but I felt I when I moved to the U.S., I felt like I wanted to kind of leave that Asianness behind, you know. And I felt maybe because uh, even the dating space, like going back to the fact that you know Asian men have had more trouble in dating. Like, why well, maybe didn't I didn't? I mean, I got into my first relationship somewhat soon after getting to the U.S., but I remember I, many times I tried to like limit being Asian as part of my identity, you know, like just limited as much as I could because I felt maybe in some ways it was holding me back. Especially when I came to the U.S. trying to be an actor, I thought, oh, you know, like Asian actors have you know, a rough go of it, you know, especially, especially back then, you know, obviously the, the improvements we've seen have been more in recent years, but anyway, so yeah, so I guess to your point, yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, agree and understand with the internalized racism. And I think to a degree, even when I, after being in Asia, 
primarily surrounded with Asian women when I came to the U.S. I remember also saying like, I'm, I'm not going to date Asian women uh, out here. Or I didn't say it outwardly, outwardly, but I wasn't really thinking, I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't pursuing Asian women. You know, I was like, so I get what you're saying essentially as well. And so I guess we now can segue into the, one of the more taboo questions. Well, this whole thing's been taboo, but this one's a particularly one that I will choose my words carefully. Uh, but yes, is in a way, and it's not to blame it, but is K-pop indirectly fueling Asian fetishization? Ooh, I, I actually have so many thoughts on this because I think that just as a really big K-pop fan and as like a half Korean person, it's been really fascinating and largely a really enjoyable experience to see K-pop and K like Korean culture kind of come to the central stage of the world. It's really it feels it can feel really nice to have your culture celebrated and to have people in your community finally be acknowledged for their talents or their beauty or whatever. At the same time, though, there's two things that are kind of like the the thorns in the rose that stick out to me. One is that just like as a Korean person, like I, I have to acknowledge that there is definitely like a glorification of Western culture and whiteness in in a lot of Asian cultures. And that's because of, you know, systemic oppression and like global superpowers, a lot of politics and that sort of thing where proximity to whiteness can often be celebrated, having fairer skin or a taller nose or speaking perfect English without an accent and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I don't blame anyone for that whole thing's existence. That's true across many cultures. But with that, I'm aware that in a lot of K-pop, you know, it's it's marketed specifically to increase the perception uh, of Korea in the global worldview, particularly in the West. Like it was a soft power movement encouraged by the government to globalize the world and introduce them to Korean culture. So it was kind of manufactured in a lens where they're like, man, I... <laughs> This is me making kind of a joke out of, you know, a pretty serious topic. But like, man, I really hope the white people like this and will give us a Grammy. Or I really hope that like Americans will sing along to this because that's what success looks like in this industry. And I, again, like I don't blame K-pop or whatever people's decisions for that because I understand like they're trying to do the best for their people, for their country, bring opportunities to people that didn't necessarily have them earlier. And if in their eyes success is, you know celebration in America, then like that's that's how it is. Um, so that's like one element of it. And the other side of it of like how I feel like it's experienced then by Asian Americans nowadays is that yes, it's been super amazing and, you know, celebrating Asian beauty and, you know, particularly in like body image and that sort of thing. Being now seen as desirable as an Asian girl is like very new to me. I think I for a long time felt like it was something I had to compensate for. And now I'm like, oh, people love that I'm Korean. How fascinating. <laughs> but it then also created just a new standard. It added like an Asian archetype to the book of desirability that the world kind of, you know, draws from. So it's not like all Asians are celebrated because we all look different. It's that, oh, if you're tall, super, super skinny, fair skin, dark hair, dark eyes, delicate features, like that's the ideal Korean. So now we have like a Korean or East Asian beauty standard that maybe feels nice because it's a little bit closer to home. It's a little bit closer to something that's attainable for you. I don't have to like bleach my hair blonde to be conventionally beautiful. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I didn't get out of it yet. <laughs> I'm getting there, slowly but surely. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like it now added a new a new standard that Asians can fall short of. 
um, that's a little bit closer. So it's like, oh, well, like, why aren't you like Ri Jung Hyuk? Because you're kind of close there, but um, that's a, a K drama um, protagonist. Yeah, but it, it it doesn't seem to me to necessarily be a solution always to like add more archetypes to this book of conventional mm-hmm. beauty, which I think is progress in like the world as we see it. But there's always then going to be like an inadequacy. So I was thinking a little bit about like, oh, if that's the case, like what is an ideal world that I want to live in in terms of like how the world perceives me? But yeah, I think at the end of the day, we would all love to be embraced, not despite our Asianness, not because our Asianness, but just as we are. Um, and then at the end of the day, a lot of it's just going to come down to like our individuality and being able to be confident in who we are, regardless of like the global or like larger perception of, of the level of our beauty and where we fall within that archetype. Because, you know, I think I'm kind of resigned to the fact that like, we're not, the world is not always going to think that every element of me or my culture is beautiful, but like I can <laughs> at least, you know, um, and that's just kind of, you know, how things are going to be for at least probably my, my lifetime. I was like transfixed listening <laughs> to how you, how you put that because you put it so well. I feel like it covered across the board. It's like, yes, it's a step in the right direction, but we are nowhere near there yet. Like it's something to be celebrated, but also analyzed, right? Yeah, that's what it is. I think that's. I keep talking about nuance, but that's what it is. Like this whole thing is not is it's so not black or white. It's not like yeah, and we should celebrate, you know, K-pop and the success and the attention it's brought to. I mean, I'm not Korean, but I'm. I love you know seeing all these you know Asians so well represented in media. Not just K-pop. You know, you're seeing you know you know like uh, it just you know. Just Asians, the increased representation of Asians in Western media is great to see in general. But at the same time, we can and should also be open to analysis and criticism uh, of some of the some of the negatives that may crop up. If any of you watch Loki on Disney Plus, it's honestly one of my favorite shows. Big Marvel fan. Um, I was really excited to see that they cast Kihi Kwan, who came back into fame from Everything Everywhere All at Once in the series. So I was like, oh, I like, wonder what his character is. Um, and he's kind of known for like being a goofy character. And I think that, yeah, he, he's just phenomenal in a lot of different ways. But his role in Loki, I don't know, without, without too many spoilers, his role in Loki is like an engineer. He's like known for his brain. That's his asset to the team. Um, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. But like he, he, he does genuinely play that role well. Okay. Few more episodes in, the one Filipino actor, part of his character is revealed to be a criminal escaping prison. And I was like, what Why? kind of decision making went to that and if you're not aware I think that it's it's kind of a general trope that within Asians obviously for a lot of like fair skinned or like East Asians the trope is nerdy and like the brainiac like a little dweeby but that's not that that's necessarily bad I'm, I'm pretty dweeby too so you can own that but also for darker skinned Asians and like Filipino communities and that sort of thing a, a common trope in popular media is like the darker skin like maybe less educated, maybe lazy, maybe, you know, breaking the law in certain ways. And I was just really shocked to see that trope perpetuated negatively in a show in 2023, especially when Kiki Kwan, in particular as an actor, like has a really interesting story of how like of, of overcoming tropes and stereotypes and adversity in Hollywood and how he's been really trying to expand the worldview of people in like how they perceive Asians. If you want a different show on Disney Plus, I think to did a really good job was American Born Chinese. And I love Kiki Kwan's character in that because it, it does dive into like the nuance of perception of Asians and, you know, how it impacts us in our daily lives and also how we move past it. So... It's not like I blame Disney. <laughs> Hire me at some point, please. But, you know, there, it's all 
all that is to say that we still see it today. Like there is progress being mm -hmm. made, absolutely. But these things still happen. I'm not saying that like a Filipino person can never play a criminal or that an Asian person should never play an engineer or a doctor or whatever. It's just that if that's the only roles that are available, like what kind of world are we living in? You know? mm -hmm. Especially like you said, when it wasn't necessary to yeah. the to the role, plot. To the plot. Did not need that at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> especially from the perspective of, you know, the K well, the question was initially about K-pop. You answered it very well, and you know you know a lot more about that space than I do, so I don't want to misspeak. Like I said, I had an experience. Arya's <laughs> <laughs> oh, traumatized. I will try. If you don't know, and again, I'm not blaming K-pop. I'm blaming the select group of fans. But I had an issue a while ago where I made a video for the BuzzFeed Unsolved Network about the Burning Sun scandal. We won't get into all of that here, but essentially, it's a scandal involving a popular K-pop. Uh, well, he's an, an idol. He wasn't. There were I, there were a lot of people involved. I, I think one of them or a few of them were like idols or big in the entertainment. The primary yeah. backlash I got from the video were from fans of this one, uh, I guess, former K-pop star named Seungri, who was a part of, I believe, Big Bang. He, essentially, he was part of this scandal that involved embezzlement and prostitution. And so I, you know, I made a video about this. And, uh, and for the most part, again, a lot of K-pop fans were in agreement because this man was eventually convicted, too. <laughs> for his crimes, but of course his diehard fans uh, that believed he was innocent, they they came for me and they were sending death threats to me to, I, I think it's like I've received backlash in the past, just that's the nature of a lot of the content I make, so I understand that and so I was used to it, but I did feel bad and I was telling you all this I felt bad for our research team who were also credited in the video and so the research team, they got death threats and like my inbox is just filled of the same message over and over again where they're saying, oh he's gonna He's like, you know, pulled this video. If not, he's going to sue you, you know, for defamation. You guys are going down. Oh once, Because at the time, he was on trial for his crimes. And so they were saying, oh, once he is found innocent, he he's going to come for you guys for BuzzFeed. So BuzzFeed Bear pulled this down, you know, or, you know, yeah, you guys are you guys are in for a world of hurt. I remember and I appreciated BuzzFeed's legal team being like looking over the facts, looking over the research and being like, yeah, they have, they have nothing here. And eventually they didn't have anything there because, yeah, he was eventually convicted of his crime. So in the end, uh, we were right. But my point is, uh, that's why when it comes to the K-pop space, I always want to you know, make it very clear. Because even in that case, I don't think I made it clear enough in that whole or sort of like online eruption that I wasn't saying that K-pop fans were out of hand. I'm saying his, that specific, not even, not necessarily, you can still, I guess you can be a fan of his, but also acknowledge his crimes. But I'm talking about specifically the fans of his believed he was innocent and were sending death threats. That's where I was like, okay, well, that's why now I'm always like treading, making, throwing every disclaimer out into the world that I can, that I'm not attacking K-pop or <laughs> these groups. Because, uh, you know, yeah, no, no death threats for these two, please. You'll still you know? get, you'll still get something, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> at this point, they're kind of fun for me to receive, but no, yeah. they're not fun. <laughs> Don't threaten. say that. Let's not threaten. Let's not. Death there's, threats are never. Fun. There's no need for a death threat. If you have a disagreement and want like an educated civil discourse, comment section, blow it up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 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 yes. But no, that's why. That's why I throw out these disclaimers. Uh, yeah. Well, I thank guess, you so much. Yeah, thank like, you so much, Joa. I think. Uh, thank you guys for having me. You said you're unofficial, like yeah, like you didn't get a degree, but that was like <laughs> the most expert interview. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh. Impressive. Oh, I'm it really so honored. Was. You guys prepared me very well with the with the articles and the outline. Oh, I mean, like uh, no, that, that was you. That was the. I think a lot of. I mean, you. I didn't know you. I didn't write that article, <laughs> that that piece for you in uh, what was it uh, in your high school about cultural appropriation yeah. versus oh, yes, appreciation. Yes, yes. <laughs> and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your own experiences as well. Oh, 
thank you yeah. guys. I, yeah. I really appreciate it. And you guys foster such a good environment for being able to have these conversations. I feel like it is so nice to have a place on the internet, which has very little space for nuance, very little space for like discomfort and opening yourself up to criticism. And I feel like you guys handle that so gracefully. Um, so I appreciate it. I have to thank your viewers too, for like being there for people to have, to be in process, to be learning and to be open to like critical thinking and, um, yeah, it's just really awesome to be here. And for all listeners, I just have to gas up Aria and Merle for just being truly as wonderful in person as they appear online. Like it is not is not an act. It's not one of those things where you'll meet them in person and be disappointed <laughs> because I was their fan before I started working at BuzzFeed. And then I came there and started to get to know them and work with them. And they're both like the most wonderful mentors and leaders and, you know, advocates for people to to learn and be in a safe environment to learn and become a better producer. So I attribute a lot of my my BuzzFeed success to them. And I, you know, I consider myself very lucky to have been a fan that now gets to sit here and be on the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's it's truly an honor. Oh, please. Oh that's God. very nice. I can see you. Rome getting emotional over there. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> but no, truly, that's, I mean, like, even the word mentor, you're very kind to use that term. You know, we're, you know, you were always just so lovely to, to, to just interact with, to work with. And so, like, all the success you have now, it's all attributed to you. But, you know, like, uh, thank you for giving us a little bit of that. But it was all you, oh, you know, you're always... Uh, destined for. I remember when Joel first started making videos at BuzzFeed as a fellow. I thought they'd, they'd be crazy not to hire this this <laughs> this, this, this person. Um, I appreciate it. Like that. it was just like clear that uh, that you were not to throw shade at your fellow fellows, but you you were just clearly very above and beyond. Like you had a great understanding of just like content creation, the space, and everything like that. So and you're brilliant. Like yes. clearly, yeah. I can uh, see uh, from yeah. listening. Go follow Joel. Also, where, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Joel That's J O E L L E O L O L. Um, I make a lot of food, obviously K-pop and just like lifestyle things, but mostly food and eating. So if that's if you eat. <laughs> you should come to one of my vegan uh, food ranking <gasps> vlog things. We could do Wait, a dual thing. That'd be so fun. Oh yeah. my gosh. I if love you're open that. to vegan food, there's yeah. some good vegan food in LA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Better for the environment, you know. And also, I, I'm always impressed by the by the consistency of the quality, but also like how regimented you are in getting stuff out. Like I, I, we were talking beforehand how she... Well, she posted a story yesterday promising that she'd get a vlog out this morning and she, apparently got she got out. out. Unreal. It got out. Uh, My I'll social life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's the part of the content. For the content. Yeah, for the content. But yes, do check her out. Her links will be in the description below. But yeah, yes. thank you so much again, Joelle. Yes. We'll definitely love to have you back in yes. the future. This conversation would not have been even a half as 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 good without your presence here. It would have just been me rambling, trying to figure out how to say <laughs> half the things. I can't pronounce the title of the episode. <laughs> you can't figure out the story. So, so thank goodness for you. Bless you. No. Yeah, thank we'd you love so to have much, you back. No, thank um, you both. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.